This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. And I'm Chris Knutson, your host for today's episode. And I trust this finds you're doing exceptional wherever you are, whatever engineering project you have to be working on. Now, in this episode, I'm talking with Brian Howe. He's a former U.S. Air Force captain who now consults and recruits transitioning military engineers for a nationally recognized recruiting agency. Although Brian works exclusively with transitioning military officers, this episode contains a wealth of knowledge for any person who's going to be considering working for any company or organization that does interviews. The vast majority of us are going to be transitioning at some point in our career, so having skills for planning, preparing, executing, and closing a job placement is worth developing. In this show, Brian will share his lessons learned from working with over 200 candidates. We'll touch on how to work through the fear and anxiety of the transition, as well as tactics for preparing resumes and conducting interviews. He also lays out what to look for when selecting or working with a recruitment agency. Now, before we move into the main segment of the show, I want to remind you that the Engineer Career Summit 2016 in New Orleans is taking place next week. That's right, 12 to 14 May in the Big Easy. And it's really easy to get tickets to the event. Just navigate your way over to engineeringevent.com and grab your ticket. This year's event features keynotes from Will Schneier and Croft Edwards, both past guests of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, as well as panel sessions on leadership, business development, and how to put yourself on the path to partnership. Plus, there's going to be nine professional development hours awarded. Again, check out engineeringevent.com to secure your spot today. I also want to take a moment and recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. Now, if you're thinking about taking the FE, PE, or SE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI. They're the leader in engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast only. Use promo code COACH at ppi2pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code COACH for a 20% discount. Let's uh, look at a quote here. It's related to today's topic. It's going to bring us into the main segment, and this one comes from Charles Kettering. He tells us that there exists limitless opportunities in every industry where there is an open mind, there will always be a frontier. It's a perfect quote to tee up this episode's conversation on opportunities for transitioning military engineers with Brian Howe. Now it's time for the main segment of our show, and for today's main segment, I'm joined by Brian Howe, a former Air Force captain and now a transitioning military officer, recruiter, and consultant. Brian knows what it's like to leave the military with, an, with the uncertainty of finding a job and navigating the job market. And for the last five-plus years, he's helped over 200 military officers find a job in corporate America, leveraging their backgrounds, education, and interests. His goal in this endeavor is twofold, to find the best officer candidates for the best opportunities that he supports and to treat the candidates that he works with with the utmost respect, honesty, and candidness they deserve. Brian, welcome to the show. Christian, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a great one. And as a reminder, the show notes for today's episode are going to be at engineeringcareercoach.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to all the resources, websites, and books that Brian and I might mention during the interview. And again, you'll find those details at engineeringcareercoach.com. And then just search for today's episode. All right, so Brian, we've got quite a bit of material here and some territory to cover. I'm really excited about having you on the show here because obviously Anthony and I are, are all about helping engineers and getting them prepped up and prepared to be able to go out and do what they need to do in their jobs, and especially if they're looking to do transitions. But we really haven't had the opportunity before to be able to bring on somebody like yourself who works with people who are literally looking into those new jobs. And more importantly, we haven't worked with somebody who's doing the support for transitioning military engineers, which I have kind of a personal soft spot for being a former military engineer myself. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to have you on the show here. And so I'm, I'm just going to ask up front here because I know that in some of the discussions we had previously before starting the show here as we are going through this, you've gone through this transition yourself. You went from active duty into the private sector, and now you help other active duty members make that transition themselves. What were some of the fears and maybe misconceptions that you had on the front end of your transition from active duty to the private sector? 
It, it is something that you know many people are facing, and I think I'm probably very much the same as them that fear of, of not finding a job, of, uh, of not really being able to relate those key skills, education, and experience were, were some of the, uh, the things in the forefront of my mind where, okay, I've, I've been in the military, I've led managed people, I've worked on projects. Military veterans and engineers in particular have such impressive backgrounds, education, and experience, but we always worry about how we're going to show that to companies, how we can, you know, take that from being planes and, uh, and tanks to, you know, working in buildings and offices or construction, whatever it might be, kind of relating those skills. So those are some of my main misconceptions. And actually, when I was getting out of active duty, I kind of threw up my hand and, and started looking for help as well. And that's actually what led me to, uh, to Bradley Morris, where, uh, where I work now, just as, as they were they were some that... I uh, had made the transition. They had uh, some proven things to kind of help me see what what others had done, what options were, and, and some training to, to kind of help facilitate that. So that's some of the same misconceptions I had. And part of the reason that, uh, you know, I'm so passionate about what I do is, you know, I've been there, I've done that, and I, when possible, would love to help other folks avoid all of the uh, the negative uh, feelings and concerns that uh, that can come with that. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I myself had some of those some of those same uh, fears and maybe just misconceptions about making that transition, and had a f- you know a few more years than yourself before I went through and did that. So, so I think for anybody really, it's just kind of the it's that fear of the unknown. And the fact is, is that that fear doesn't have to be something. You, it's certainly not something that you. For those that are listening, you know you're not alone. There's others that have shared that and that are sharing that same fear, and. It's something that you can work through, and you can get past that, bypass that hurdle, and move on. So, that's uh, Brian. Great to hear that from you. So, you know, as, as I mentioned here, for over five years with Bradley Morris, what are a few of the lessons that you've learned that you've seen that you've built up from helping military engineers make the transition? Well, some of the things I've learned for engineers, particularly, kind of making that transition. And don't take this the wrong way, but uh, engineers aren't always your most personable, outgoing, confident in kind of human reaction, human relation kind of uh, communication. And that's one of the things that <laughs> you you know just what I mean. Your your laugh tells it all, and it's it's something that I've I've really kind of tried to work hard with each and every individual on is just kind of showcasing that that immense knowledge, expertise, but then being able to you know, put it into words and, and really communicate that and kind of connect with individuals. Because so much of what I've found about uh, companies wanting to hire and being successful in any job or career is is a personality and a communication. You really need to be able to connect with people. You need to show people that you're fun to be around. You're a team player. You're someone they can get along with, that they can go to to ask questions. That's kind of, um, you know, twofold. You you have to be able to talk to them. But, you know, in doing so, you don't want to be condescending. Oh, how don't you understand this? This is so easy. We, we, we try to work through that. And it's one of the things that, um, you know, breaking down complex programs, education, relating them, as well as just breaking it down even even further to making sure they can have a nice, easy conversation from technical concepts to the weather to just kind of what's whatever is going on in, in their mind. And those are some of the big things i found have been really key for engineers, especially those that are a little less personable than the others, to really kind of dig in and, and try to work on for self-improvement. A lot of what you just covered are a lot of the issues that Anthony and I have either written on or we've done previous podcasts on before with other guests. And so so this is great to have your perspective on this as you've worked with a number of engineers who are, who are making the transition. And I think this will apply to certainly, yes, military engineers, but I think any engineer who's trying to make a transition from one position or career or job to another. So as you were talking about sort of, and I laughed because you're right, I mean, the whole, uh, you know, this, yeah, engineers have, we have this, uh, you know, this stereotype of, you know, not being very personal. And there's a reason for that because a lot of us aren't. But if you've been able to work with, you know, with engineers and you've been able to see them make the transition and to be able to basically build those skills they need to be able to have, let's say everything from small talk to we'll call it big talk, you know, talk about legitimate job components or whatever that may be, 
And I'm sure that you've worked with a range of individuals who have been successful in being able to make build that skill and some who haven't been as successful as you would have maybe have hoped. What were some of the things that you saw, and if you're able to share this and able to and really understand this maybe, is what were some of the things that you maybe saw that the successful engineers were able to do to be able to master that skill or build that skill and small talk and becoming more personable and being able to interact with people better? It's different for everyone, of course, as, as you kind of alluded to, but I think the vast majority of the folks that I've helped that that have seen great strides and have been successful in these, some of the big secrets and takeaways that they've had were, one, facing the fear and, and getting out and doing it and practicing it and, and looking for opportunities to engage in conversation. In fact, in, in large part, I try to convince them, you know, even if they're out jogging, you know, say hi to the person that's, that's jogging the other direction, just little interactions, building upon those, just getting used to speaking to people you don't know. Another area that uh, helps folks is becoming a subject matter expert. You know, a lot of folks are more nervous because, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to interact. Well, again, by delving into it, by knowing all there is about whether it be the subject or potential scenarios, it often gives folks more confidence to which then they can comfortably talk about it. They're less worried about saying something wrong and they actually just talk. They just have a nice conversation. So, the old adage, practice makes perfect, is still very, very true here. Knowing the information you need to discuss to kind of further work at it. And like I say, not not being afraid to make some mistakes because, uh, you know, the road to success is, is, is paved with those little mini failures. However, each one should be a lesson in here's something that went good. Here's something that went bad. How can we keep the good and, and kind of get away from, from making some of the same mistakes or missteps that we had. I appreciate that input. And I've had a chance to, in, I'm going to just kind of bring this in, tie it into one of our previous podcasts for everyone. Brian, as you mentioned, the you know, kind of this idea of maybe moving into developing yourself as a subject matter expert. For those listeners who are really have a lot of, let's say, I'll just say it, a lot of fun with, with diving into the details on, on certain issues, Take it and build on that fun that you have with that and become the subject matter expert. This kind of goes into a little bit of discussion. If you're all interested in going back and checking this one out, in episode 87, I had a chance to talk with uh, Dory Clark, who talks about uh, her book, uh, Reinventing Yourself, which really dives into a lot of detail on developing oneself as a subject matter expert when you're going through a career transition. So it kind of plays into some of what you were just talking about. Appreciate that. So maybe as we're talking through this, we've already kind of touched on the the, you know, the concept of the fear that uh, that one can have as they move into the transition process. And again, because you've had this opportunity to work with a lot of people very intimately who are going through this, you've seen what works, you've seen what doesn't work. Maybe you could share with listeners some of the tips and tricks that can help take that fear and anxiety out of the job search process. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly uh, several things that you can do to to avoid putting unnecessary hardship on yourself. If one of the fears is there's no jobs out there, I'm, I'm never going to find anything. Again, one of the adages I, I like to have you to do is look early, look often at different roles. You know, starting out as soon as possible in the search, of course, is gonna is gonna give you the most time to find some different roles, some different opportunities. Asking questions is huge. More than likely, this is not the first time someone's had that question or been concerned about something. And just asking the questions, you can often learn a little bit, figure out, you know, okay, this this works for me, this doesn't, adjusting your strategy. Flexibility, too. Uh, it sounds interesting, kind of funny maybe, but flexibility is huge as far as removing some of those obstacles, those concerns that you'd have. And I say that because in the job search, there's usually, there's usually three driving factors for individuals. It's what the job is, what the location is, and what the salary or compensation is going to be. You typically have one that you're driving toward, and the others are kind of secondary and tertiary, but if you've got some true flexibility, you know what? I'm just looking for a great career. I'm open to location and money. I know it's going to be right. As I prove myself, you're going to start seeing more opportunities than you can turn away. Whereas if you're, hey, I'm really concerned, Brian, that I can't find a job within 10 miles of my San Diego high rise that's right near the beach and, and looking just for you know my degree, 
you're probably right. You, that's probably going to be a little too specific, and I tell you, you need to kind of uh, broaden the scope. And, and just even, like I say, little things of, uh, again, starting early, asking questions, and being flexible are going to greatly improve kind of what, what you can see, what options are available, and where to kind of go from there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what's what's the driver? You know, is it the job, the location, or the money? I think you know some of what you what you were just mentioning. Maybe you know hit the rewind button and go back looking at uh, looking at my time in the service. And that is, I think, again for a lot of the clients that you're working with. I mean, it's not unusual to have to think through this ability, you know, this this concept of being flexible, of having some flexibility. And, and one of the things that I was always I was always mentored on was to have a, you know, certainly you could have a plan A. But to always have a plan B and a C and sometimes maybe even a D that are all within – these are within the bookends of what's acceptable to me as an individual. And if I, if I have an opportunity or I'm offered a position that falls within that realm, okay, that can work. I'll go with it. And of course, as you probably remember from your time in the service, as you're working with your detailer, for those of us that were Air Force Personnel Center, you work with our detailers, we get – you know, we may or may not get options. <laughs> we may get one option. Obviously, if they're working with, with you or a, or a placement company, there's probably more than one option, and there's technically an infinite number of locations that you could end up to. But I think, uh, as, as you pointed out, Brian, you know, having that flexibility, that willingness to be able to have you know, some thought processes already in place about what's acceptable, what's not, I think is very useful. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And uh, like I say, even even one more to uh, to add to the list, I suppose, is, is going to be your uh, your preparation. So it's, it's not enough to just be flexible and to be looking at roles and opportunities. But then, of course, you you'll want to capitalize on the on the ones you get. If there's if there's just one role in the in the location that you're interested in because you're you're really trying to get close to family or whatnot, you want to make sure that, um, you know, it, it's that one shot, one kill that you can really impress everyone so much so that they stop looking anywhere else, that you are the solution to the problem. So yeah, preparation is also going to be, you know, something else you can do. And part of it's knowing your resume, being able to talk to your military background and experience. Part of it's going to be giving good examples to to illustrate how even though you might have been in a different industry or doing different related work to the company that you're interested in going to work for, that there are some parallels, leadership, program management, technical engineering, understanding, you know, process improvement, root cause analysis, so on and so forth. Just being able to do the job in the interview and, and really relate to that is, is going to be important. And as I alluded to earlier in the interview, connecting with the individuals, making sure that you make that personal connection with them so that at the end of it, they can say, yep, this individual can do the job. They're excited, passionate, energetic about the role. This is something that excites them, so it's going to maintain and keep their interest. And I like the person. I could see myself working eight, 10-hour days with them. I think my team will too. This looks like that package deal. So being able to kind of work the uh, the preparation side of things as well is going to be important too. Oh, that's exceptional. And let me ask this because you brought up this fourth point, which is, you know being, again, being prepared. From your experience of working with with military engineers doing the transition piece, has let's say certifications or a licensure played into this at all as far as the ability to be able to more easily place engineers, or has that not been a factor from what you've experienced? You know, it kind of goes a little bit of each. You know, there there are some positions, for instance, construction firms and, and related, very much like a professional engineer. However, we've also seen though that a professional engineer from Texas is not necessarily going to walk in and get the job in California where they've got so many different rules on earthquake, seismic, this and that, that they'd have to probably retest and kind of get a another licensure. So it does certainly help, though. I will, will tell you that for two reasons. One, it'll show that individual is more of a subject matter expert, that they're trying to be the best they can in their field and it shows that they're looking to grow and develop themselves further, that they want to take on bigger roles, bigger challenges, that they've put in the time and energy to make that effort to be successful, again, in their field. So for those that are pursuing those degrees, those advanced certifications, whatnot, I think that's a great thing. I continue to uh, to do so. Those that haven't started it, you know, it's, it's not something I tell you have to try to cram in at the very end of your career or right away, but even taking a class or two, 
I think would be a show of good faith that, hey, this is something I could do. I'm interested in doing. I can further better myself. And if the company that I go to work for needs it, by all means, I'm willing to gain and get that extra education or certification required. That's great to hear. And of course, I'm going to make the uh, the recommendation that uh, especially if you are, if you're a military engineer and you're looking at transitioning out and you do have the time, you know that it's a year, two years out, or the plan is, is hey, I'm going to stay in the service until the 10-year point. I'm going to get out. Just make sure that part of that transition plan, if you're going to continue to do engineering work, includes the licensure component at a minimum, especially if you're a civil engineer. And uh, the rationale that I've got behind that is that there's a lot of civil engineers that are out there in the world and that having that license can be can spell the difference between being able to more easily find a position or making it a little bit more difficult. So take the effort and just as Brian said, show your ability to be able to master concepts to be that subject matter expert and get your professional engineer's license that's out there. And you and I, Brian, we didn't prep that question in advance, so I appreciate you saying that one. So I'm going to, I'm not going completely off topic here, but uh, is uh, we've been talking about, you know, some of the tips and tricks and tactics and whatnot that people can look at to, uh, you know, to kind of work through their fear or their anxiety or to, you know, kind of prep themselves for uh, going through that piece of it. If military members learn anything, I think one of the components that every military member learns is this ability to be able to, to plan or to at least appreciate the fact that they need to plan. Again, from you know, kind of based off of your observations and experiences, you know, what kind of tips do you have for how someone should prepare their transition plan? What needs to be included, or maybe like how early should one start before they're going to go through? You know, they're going to actually make the transition out. With a transition, again, a lot of planning is always is going to just benefit the individual immensely. And we don't have a, a true set timeline of you have to be here, you have to be there because, you know, it, it's not really a one size fits all. Different people work in uh, different uh, ways uh, and in different timelines. You know, what I would tell you is it's never too early to be thinking about the transition. And then at different steps, we'd have different suggestions. So if you're two or three years out, I talked to you about looking at professional certifications and advanced degree, those kinds of things to kind of further bolster your background, your experience. When you're getting closer to about six to eight months out, that's when I definitely want to start working with you on a resume. Get a good solid working copy of that going, making sure that that's you know, squared away that we're comfortable with it. Once we're at the three to four month out window, that's really when we start to look at interviewing. Most companies are not looking at hiring strategically. That is six, eight months out. Most of them are looking to hire in the short term. Something has happened. Someone got promoted. Someone moved to another facility within the company. Someone quit and took a job elsewhere, and the company now has to fill their shoes. So again, most of the interviewing and hiring is going to happen kind of in that three to four month window. And with that, we like to have as many of our ducks in a row as we can at that point. So the resume is good. We've done a little bit of uh, preparation as far as uh, interview do's and don'ts, maybe a mock interview or two just to kind of shake out the uh, dust and make sure that uh, if there's any tough questions or hooks that we can kind of make those mistakes on the mock interview and then kind of roll into the uh, the real interview ready to go with, hey, I've, I've seen a lot of what they could throw at me. I'm familiar with my resume. I'm ready to do the job in the interview and really show them how I'm a great fit. Inside of the three to four month window is, is when we'll Again, continue showing your roles opportunities, even down to, you know, I'm zero days out or I'm, you know, negative one month into the search. You know, I've now been separated completely. The same rules are going to apply. We'll want to make sure that, uh, you know, if, if that's where you're coming to us, hey, I thought I had a government contract that fell through. Now I'm I'm here and, you know, I'm way behind the power curve. What do I do? Again, not to panic. Don't don't panic. That's first off. Let's get the resume going. Let's start talking about what you want to do. Let's start identifying opportunities. You know, sometimes we can look at some phone interview roles. Sometimes we can look at, hey, is there a conference that's going on that companies are coming to that we can help facilitate face-to-face -face interviews? That's something that uh, we provide as well. So then we look at, again, the best ways of, of matching things up and getting you to that. So again, it's never too early to start. And honestly, again, it's never too late. I don't want folks to think, boy, I, I missed the boat. Well, I might as well move on somewhere else. This isn't for me. No, we'll, we'll make sure to, uh, to work in, in the timeline and in the space that we have available. 
it's good to hear that there's a, there's a little bit of flexibility in how that plan gets put together and how it gets rolled out. And I think at this point, it's probably a good point to maybe step into unpacking what the process looks like for working with the recruitment agency. So I know, that, you know, some individuals may have their network and they go tap into their network and they have conversations with individuals that, that are within that network and they're able to work uh, transitions and that's how that goes down. But for those that don't and they're looking to work with a, with a placement agency, what does that look like? You were just kind of talking a little bit about, what, you know, how long the process might take. What does that look like? What does a fee structure look like? What are some of those parameters that, that come into play once you start working with a recruiting agency? Yeah, we'll look at a few things. And one of the big things I would uh, look at first, there's a lot of agencies, resources, options that are out there. Explore them all. You know, be picky in what you're deciding to go with. But, you know, in the early searches, keep the search wide open. Don't try to rule someone out because I've heard this, I've heard that. Do some exploration, look into it. Now, that being said, there are many recruiting firms that are free to military or free to the candidate because the company that hires that individual would pay the fee. That's how, how mine works uh, at Bradley Morris. And it's firms such as that that I would encourage folks to check into. The analogy I like to use is, is working with one of the recruiting firms like that is like working with a realtor. There's very little concern for the member. There's no, there's no charge. There's no fee. You're going to have someone that's been there, that's done that, that knows the industry, that knows the ins and outs, and can kind of set up the different interviews and processes very much as a realtor would connect you to who's selling, what types of house you're looking for. Let me show you the right one. And at the end of the day, same thing. When you buy a house, the seller pays the fee. When these companies, these recruiting firms find you a job, the company that hires you they would also be paying the fee. So make sure that you're looking for something like that. Along the way too, try not to limit yourself by having a firm that's going to require you to be exclusive with them. It may sound good, oh, I'm, I'm unique, I'm, I'm part of the special program that you selected me for, but when you dig into it, a lot of times it's to help protect their interests, not yours, so that they can just kind of focus on taking their time and, and looking for something for you rather than truly competing with the market that's out there. So again, be, uh, be mindful of that. Timelines, as I mentioned, are, are fairly wide open. It'll kind of vary when you come to them, what they can show you. Different recruiting firms offer different things. We offer both phone interview, kind of a, a direct interview option, where you can kind of do that uh, scheduled phone interview with a company pursuing a role. We also have what we call hiring conferences, where we bring in companies, we bring in candidates, we match backgrounds, and we do face-to-face -face interviewing. This is often a, an area of, of greater success for candidates because they can overcome objections. They can show individuals their, their whole person background of what they've done, how they've been successful, rather than just trying to defend a resume from far away. So both methods are very successful. There are definitely some merits to both. And again, at the end of the day, the other nice thing with the recruiter, and this was something that, that I found when I was doing this, is just someone else that's looking at opportunities. I always encourage folks I'm working with, tap into the networks you have. You know, you've got some strong connections, friends, neighbors that, that you know. Make sure you take advantage of those. Kind of work those and see what it can come up with. But then also, again, adding that recruiter network can kind of help give you some options that maybe you didn't know about. So many of the, uh, the individuals I work with, we start looking at different companies and opportunities, and you'd be surprised at how many names folks don't know. Oh, I didn't know that that, that company did that. Well... You know, uh, Otis Elevator, for instance, is, uh, you know, a Fortune 50 company. People aren't really thinking about the elevator industry when they think of Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. So, you know, challenging you to be open about what you're looking at, what you're seeing, and kind of expanding upon what you feel is, well, this is where I need to go and what I need to do. Well, maybe so. Another phrase that's that served my candidates and, uh, and clients well is, you don't know what you don't know. Being open to learning about what's out there, what's available, and then digging into, is this something I could enjoy, see myself doing, and job location, salary, all making sense. So a lot of that is, is going to be something that uh, a recruiter can help you unpackage, work through, and kind of see you know, on a case-by-case -case basis. I like your saying there, you don't know what you don't know. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's one thing that I've, I, I guess that I, I haven't picked it up from going through the transition, but I've just picked it up from living in a lot of places around the world is that you're absolutely right. If you're 
if you're only in one one area, you only know one segment, it may seem like you have it all mastered, but you're absolutely right. There's really truly an infinite number of opportunities that it, that exist out there. So uh, limiting yourself to just one or two of them isn't going to be ideal. It could potentially be limiting for yourself as to what you end up going into. So one thing that I'll ask is really a follow-up to what we were just talking about is the experiences levels that you've worked with or that you do work with. So as a professional recruiting agency, is that ideal for any experience level, whether it's, let's say, someone who's just a few years out of college, let's say a few years, you know, they're at the end of their first uh, commitment in the service and they're transitioning out to somebody who's maybe seasoned, has been around for a while. Do you kind of work with the entire experience uh, spectrum? I do work with the entire business spectrum, and an analogy that I like to use and I like to give is an Egyptian pyramid. An Egyptian pyramid is very, very big, thick at the base, and it gets very, very small at the top. Those are kind of an analogy, if you will, for the jobs that I'm going to get. I get a lot of entry-level opportunities. So the junior officers, one or two assignments, four- to eight-year individuals are the bulk of the roles that I've got. You know, the pyramid, you go in a little bit higher. It's still thick, but just not quite as thick. Still have a lot of roles for kind of some of the mid-level folks where, you know, maybe they're at the 10 to 12 to 14 years of experience, still seeing a decent number of roles and opportunities there. And usually with each segment, you're going to get salaries that are commensurate, fairly close. The very top of the pyramid is is very small. You know, you get you get one bird that can can land on it at a time, if you will. So The higher up you go, the harder it is for me. And actually with companies, what I've found in in doing this, companies are less inclined to want to bring in that real high-ranking military member right away into their company at, at the top. Rather, they're more interested in getting them at an earlier experience level, growing them, developing them through the company, and then promoting them to the top as as they learn, progress, improve, you know, kind of their ability to take on more and more roles within the company. So I try not to turn away anyone or discourage anyone, you know, initially, but I'd be the first to tell you that I would manage expectations and ensure that the folks that, uh, you know, very, very seasoned and a lot of that great experience that, uh, you know, we can discuss what they're looking for and, uh, you know, what realistically the market is bearing and what options I would have. So, but uh, yeah, for, for all, there there is typically something. So we were kind of talking bigger picture there, but let's dive back into some uh, some tactical level tips. So let's talk initial preparation. So you, you've talked a little bit earlier about resumes and the interview process and the research portion of that. What kind of tactical level tips, so like literally boots on ground, literally doing it type activities here that can you share for that initial preparation for the resume, for the interview, for that piece of it? So the person that is just starting off, I just decided that I'm getting out. I just put in my paperwork. I know when I'm getting out. What do I do next? The resume is the place to start, you know, assuming that, well, yeah, you need a good resume even before you start the interview. The easiest way I tell folks to write a resume is from their military evaluations. No one does a better job than the military in documenting people that you've led, projects that you've worked, the value of those different projects. Any awards, accomplishments, or um, stratifications would all be right there on the record. And that's a great place to kind of go to, to tap into, and kind of copy and paste that information right there onto the resume. The one caveat I would tell you is that military acronyms are not well known to everyone and you do best to civilianize those terms or write those out. For instance, uh, instead of saying company grade officer or CGO, I always have folks write junior officer. It's something that conveys the same meaning and people understand it right away no matter what the service, no matter what the industry. Whereas if you you keep the company grade officer, you may have someone in civilian the civilian sector go a company grade. What? Let's see. So you're an officer at the company. No, wait. It confuses them. It really does. So we want to get away from that as quick as possible. That is one way to uh, to grab that information right away to kind of be be looking at to be using it. When we start applying to companies specifically, you know, we kind of talk about tactical strategy there for uh, for looking at companies. Diving into social media has been so good to getting individuals information on companies. I can't tell you how many companies have 
YouTube videos, Facebook or LinkedIn company profile pages. Of course, they'll probably have their own website as well, but there's just such a wealth of information out there that if you can tap into those, find the areas that interest you most, get excited about it, you would do very, very well kind of regurgitating that information to an interviewer of, hey, I went on your website, I saw this, uh, you've got a wonderful YouTube video that you know is very exciting, kind of the cutting edge technology stuff you're doing. I feel that my background, my experience doing this in the military is, is, is closely related. A lot of that's going to help you make those connections. And another area there on social media is when you know the interviewer name, make sure you look up the interviewer and make those connections as well. Was he or she a veteran? Does he or she have a similar educational background as you? You know, maybe uh, grew up in, in different areas, share some common interests. You can, you know, with a lot of those different social sites, you can see, you know, organizations they support, hobbies they have, education or certifications that, uh, that they've received. Again, it's one more way for you to show you being similar to them. People like to hire people like themselves. And it's still something that, you might find something relating to those different areas. And even when you don't, even if you find that you couldn't be more different than this person, that you were complete natural opposites, that's fine. What I tell folks to do then is to dig into that person's background, that experience, and find something you really are excited about that you can appreciate and you can compliment them on. Jim, it's, it's, you've had an amazing career at, at ABC Company. You've been there 12 plus years, promoted four no, five times. Wow. You know, that's what I'm looking for, a company that I can grow with, develop with, and with hard work as, as you've done, have the opportunity to go deep within the process. We make this a career, something I can do. So look at some of those different angles, I think, from, again, the interview prep to the strategy studying to, again, making sure that resume is square from the start are some things that, you know, we'll certainly give you a hand looking at, but a lot, a lot of the tools are right there at your disposal even now. You're absolutely so right. <laughs> With the access that everybody's got to the internet, any company is is out there. I mean, if they're not on the internet, then I guess the question would be, what are they exactly doing? So you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a wealth of material out there. It's just tapping into it and doing a little bit of intelligence uh, or, you know, reconnaissance work and basically pulling that information together. I mean, something I'll just throw out there is an additional resource. So for any military engineers who are out there that are, are members of the Society of American Military Engineers, you know, if you're going through this process of looking for your transition and you're specifically looking for, let's say, a location geographically that you want to go to, and you're not even sure what engineering firms or companies are working in that area, one of the first things you can do is go look at the Society of American Military Engineer post that's in that location or that, that services that location and find out who the sustaining members are. Those are the firms, the companies that are, that are in that region, and that at least gives you a starting point. You can then have a list of companies that are at least involved with SAME, and you can start from there. So it's a little bit of research. You've got to do some homework. Nothing unusual for a military engineer out there of having to go out and do some reconnaissance work to figure out what they've got to do to get the mission done. And in this case, your mission is your transition into the, uh, into the private sector. So great points. I want to do ask one follow-up more on this. So let's, we've, we've gone through this as the initial prep, getting things ready, getting the resume. Things are moving along really great because you've now been given a interview opportunity for you to go to a company. You're going to go do a site visit. You're going to meet with members of the, of the company firm, potentially even senior leadership. And because things have been going so great, there's going to be an offer coming out of this. You're going to be moving into the offer negotiation process. So that in and of itself, this whole negotiation for pay completely foreign to somebody who's in the military. You get paid. Everybody knows exactly how much an 03 gets paid, an 04, an 05 with X number of years. It's written. It's, it's published. It's public knowledge. What do I need to do to get myself prepped to go for this company site visit? You know, what's the biggest pitfall that I got to avoid on going into those offer negotiations? So with the, the site visit, the biggest advice I have for folks that are getting ready to go out on a site visit, this is typically when you're going to go meet several members of the team, your peers, your supervisors, your supervisors, supervisors. This is your chance to really, again, learn as much as you can and have them learn as much as they can about you for that final decision. Do we hire so-and-so? With that, 
the biggest advice I have in, in going into it is to control what you can control. So many folks can lose one of these visits because they don't plan properly, whether that be catching a plane, planning enough time to, uh, to get to the visit in their car, avoiding traffic, avoiding bad weather. They don't do enough research on the opportunity and kind of find a way to show how their background and their experiences are a fit. You know, what I call the, the do the job in the interview. They don't find enough ways to really show how they've done the job, how they're a fit, how they're wanting to do the job. So much of that is controllable. Even, again, as I mentioned, doing research on the individuals you know you're going to meet. How can I, again, show them threefold? I've got the background skill set they're looking for, that I'm you know, passionate, excited about this opportunity, and that you know, I'd be a great member of the team, the personality fit that's going to ensure good relations while we're working there. So, so much of that, I think, is something you can control on the front end. Salary negotiation really ought to be the very last thing you worry about. If you can get everything else going really well, that piece is going to kind of work itself out for you. Most of the time with, with all of our jobs, and I imagine even just in, in your own private searches too, you should know a pretty good idea of what the job is paying, whether it be a salary range, salary band, that sort of thing that you can expect going in. Now, even with that, though, I suppose there could be a larger window. It could be a sixty to ninety thousand dollar. Well, that's that's quite a difference, you know, if you're at sixty or if you're at ninety. So, what I've always tried to told folks to do when confronted with the salary question early on, try to avoid it. Try not to make it a centerpiece of the discussion. You can pick a number, but that could ultimately get you in trouble. A good buddy of mine always said, "Whoever talks money first loses." So. Really trying to show that end of the day, you are opportunity driven. You are looking for the right role, right opportunity that, you know, understanding what the salary range had been 60 to 90,000, you know, that you're comfortable the middle to the upper end. Or I'm looking for, you know, more so the upper end based on my education, my experience. But, you know, very excited about this role. And I know that we'll, we'll find something that's going to make sense for everyone. Again, being a little bit coy, being a little bit non-committal on it, you know, initially is going to be important, you know, especially before an offer is actually being made. If you do well at the site visit and they make you an offer, now we're kind of looking at a different scenario. Now an offer has been presented and you then can kind of take that offer back and look at it. In the military, where some of the big confusion and, and all you go and say frustration is, Folks take their total take-home with uh, base salary and BAH, which is often a very large portion of their total take-home, and they decide that that's what they need as their base salary post-military. I think that's a mistake. You're overpricing yourself in some ways, and you may lose opportunities that otherwise might have been right for you. Rather, what maybe look at what your base salary is, what your BAH is, knowing what those two numbers are individually, and then when you look at a company and opportunity pursuing it, you also kind of want to know what the base salary is plus the additional compensation. For instance, in the military, you may work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. You're not getting paid overtime. You're not getting paid bonuses. You're not getting paid for big, big savings that you had on a project. You know, there's, there's no profit sharing. There's not stock options. You may have a company vehicle, but more than likely you're not driving it on vacation. It might be your drive from home to the office and back home kind of thing. So corporate America does a great job of additional compensation metrics that can supplement the military members or, you know, the person's total take home. And that's a big thing I would tell you to look at. Now, when you're doing the offer negotiation, Again, figure out what that walk away point is for you. You don't want to kind of go back too big. Typically, I tell folks if you're asking for more than 10 to 15% of a pay increase over what they made, be prepared. You know, if you're asking for that, that you may lose the opportunity. Hopefully, we haven't gotten this far in the opportunity and it's off from what we thought. With what we're working with and the program and candidates and clients that we have, we know a, a smaller range, 60 to 70, 70 to 80, almost throughout the entire process. And that, that does take a little bit of stress out of it, knowing, hey, I know pretty much where we're going to go. We'll probably go right in the middle or, you know, it might be that I have to do that low end 70 in order to get in, prove myself and grow and develop. But again, with all that, look at the total package. Make sure that uh, if you are going to go back and ask for something else, that 
you get all your ducks in a row, you ask for things one time, and that if they grant that, you understand that you're accepting the position. You really don't want to kind of go back several times. It's not going to be a good show of faith, and it might uh, might actually erode the relationship. So look at that and kind of see. One other quick strategy I've seen folks do is if they can't hit exactly where they want on the money, so that you know I I was hoping for a little bit more money that and you you weren't able to do it. Maybe the company can give you extra vacation. Maybe the company can do a little bit of a a sign-on bonus to kind of offset relocation expenses or you know expenses you're going to incur you know when you first get there, like temporary housing, put you up in a hotel or a a long long-term stay kind of a situation until you find you know that right house to buy or rent long term so there are some additional things you can look at but make sure that you show early on what you can do for the company now what they can do for you and when you do get to the salary piece again be careful how you phrase things showing them that it's important but they the company the growth the position itself is really what you're there to talk to them about that's exceptional brian great insight and really appreciate that. A lot of good tips. And actually, some of the tips that you provided here, I wish that I would have had in my pocket about a year ago. <laughs> so it's a lot of good material there. I really appreciate that. So at this point, I want to ask, where can the listeners learn more about what you do and, and how you help military members? They can check out our company website, www.bradley.com dash morris.com. That'll kind of give you a lot of information about what we're doing as a company. If you want to check out, I've got uh, Air Force Officer Facebook page as well. If you kind of search that in Facebook for Bradley Morris Air Force Officers, as well as uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at uh, just searching Brian Howe. I'm the only one Air Force Officer uh, recruiter. You'll find that right away. In fact, I uh, sometimes get found a little bit more often than I'd like by uh, very promising high school students that want to get into the Air Force. And I, I have to kind of shatter their dreams by letting them know I'm, I'm not that recruiter. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking at helping transitioning military. So I am easily found if you look in a couple spots and I'd love to, you know, answer questions and help folks as, as those come up. I appreciate that. And we're going to go ahead again, as I mentioned at the top of the discussion here, we're going to have links. We'll include all those links in the show notes. So you'll be able to uh, connect up uh, with Brian or uh, head over to Bradley Morris and check out what they've got going, going on over there. So I appreciate that. Well, all right, Brian's going to stay with us for the Take Action Today segment of the show where he's going to give you some additional actual advice for the military engineers out there on how to prepare for the transition out of the service and into the next career. We'll be back in a moment. Now it's time for a Take Action Today segment of the show, and today Brian's going to share an actionable piece of advice you can implement right away to set yourself up for a successful transition from your active duty engineering position into your next career. But before he does that, I'd like to offer a word from today's episode sponsor, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials review courses they should use when preparing for the FE, PE, or SE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. Now, I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had a chance to demo their review courses. It's why I feel very confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code COACH at ppi2pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com. And use promo code COACH for a 20% discount. Brian, what's one item that we haven't yet touched on that every active duty military engineer that's listening to this episode must strongly consider doing to better position themselves for their eventual career transition? There's several, several things, of course, they could look at. The, the, the biggest thing that you know I always kind of tell folks is keep doing the very, very best you can now at each and every role you have in order to leverage yourself for that following position. I've had some folks that when I was active duty, you kind of knew that they were getting out. They kind of went on autopilot. They kind of checked out, you know, mentally. And in some cases, it was hard to find them around the office. Don't do that. Stay engaged. Make sure you're, you're staying up on top of the, uh, the latest work, the latest projects you're doing. Not only, you know, so that you can speak to it in an interview, that you can grab those great stratifications or push notes from from the boss, but those are very important. When we're looking at who to hire and companies want to figure out who's the best 
person for them, people look at past performance as the greatest indicator of future performance. They want to see that you've been a top performing individual, whether it be within your peer group, academically, whether it be again on deployed projects here at home, whatever it might be, be the best you can at, at all of those in order that again, your total track record, your competence is, is going to be better than the next guy or gal and thus kind of setting you apart from your peers to uh, to be that that shining light that the company say yep that's the individual that's going to be able to solve the different problems i have so just really kind of keep your foot on the gas pedal it also helps too in the job search because if you if you take some time off you you kind of get into a relaxed mode keep your foot on the gas make sure that you're you're doing whatever you can for yourself that you're advancing promoting what you can do and and the rest is going to turn up uh, with with some great success i really appreciate you coming on the show today and all the great information that you've provided this is going to be exceptionally good for all the transitioning military engineers out there, but but honestly, I, I think it's, it's applicable to all engineers that are out there that are looking at doing a transition from one position to another. So again, thanks a lot for what you're doing in helping people, especially the engineers that are out there that are making those transitions. Thanks a lot. Hey, Christian, it's been my pleasure. And uh, again, best of luck to all those making the transition, those still serving. Thank you for what you're doing. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, your comments, questions. Go to engineeringcareercoach.com and either search for this episode and leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. Anthony and I monitor all the comments, so we're going to respond if you leave us one, so please do. And until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.